morning. This is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on the show, host Jenny Chadwick interviews Mr. Mike Sidlowski, Science Coordinator for Columbia Public Schools. They will discuss the return to school for CPS students and how Mr. Sidlowski and other teachers are getting creative about opportunities for learning outdoors. Good morning, Mr. Sidlowski. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And good morning, Jenny. Thank you, Mallory, and thank you, Mike, for joining. So really quickly covering the numbers. Um, so Matthew Holloway does take a break for the weekend. And as you guys know, Elizabeth normally hosts the show, Dr. Allman, on Mondays, and I normally do Wednesdays. We did a little switch up this week because the Columbia Public School students are going back in person starting tomorrow. So I wanted to take this opportunity to interview one of our Columbia Public School teachers before we start back. And in addition, Dr. Alleman will be interviewing um, an MU healthcare doctor who is starting a trial on the Novavax vaccine, and I'll cover that a little bit more at the end if we have time um, on Wednesday, for, so stay tuned for that. So Matthew Holloway reports numbers on Friday, so that's the, the, the most recent update we have. We'll get a weekend update this evening, but um, on Friday, he identified 2,641 cases, um, bringing the state total to 477,000. So we're just shy of half a million Missourians having diagnosed COVID-19. Um, so we're averaging about 3,000 cases per day in the state. And when we look at deaths, we're averaging about three deaths an hour. 64 deaths happened um, on Friday. Um, which is just just phenomenal to know that we're losing that many Missourians every day. So the pandemic is still raging, as we all know, um, but we're really um, pleased to have, um, you know, the Columbia Public School is going back in person, and there's a lot of questions that, you know, we have to what that looks like, and so we'll definitely talk more about the return to school starting tomorrow. Um, so Mike, can you give our listeners just kind of an overview? I know that, you know, Columbia Public School has been out for the most part since, you know, mid-March of last year. So it's been quite some time since all of the students have had access to some form of in-person learning. So for the listeners who are maybe not just totally in tune to what's happening with our Columbia Public School District, can you let them know what is it going to look like as we return back? Uh, sure. So it's it's going to be different for elementary and then middle and high school. For elementary, uh, they're going to go back four days a week. Uh, four days because Wednesdays are still going to be uh, a kind of a pause day for the schools while the students will actually still learn at home, and that'll give time to clean and, and the uh, teachers time to do lessons. So they'll uh, they'll be elementary K five will be in school Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, Friday. And then for middle and high school, what they're currently doing uh, starting tomorrow is what's called hybrid learning. Uh, so if you are at the, for the most part, it's the alphabet divided in half. And so if you're at the beginning part of the alphabet, you will go to school in person on Mondays and Tuesdays. And then if you're at the end of the alphabet, like my kids are, they will go to school Thursday and Friday. 
in person. However, on the other days, the days you're not in school, you are zooming into that classroom, at least for the beginning of class, to get the assignments and the intro, and then you do that at home. And what that does, uh, middle and high school are harder to keep. There's just more people, more transitions. And so what the hybrid does to at least start is it essentially roughly cuts the class sizes in half at any one given time. And then they also will, nobody will be in the building uh, student-wise on Wednesdays. Uh, and so what that'll do for middle and high is the classes will range anywhere from like eight, eight students to maybe 15, 16. I think I heard of an 18 once. It, it kind of is tough because they switch classes and so they're not all even. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's kind of a, that's what will start happening tomorrow. Yeah, my daughter was joking that as she finished up her AP Calc class, that if they were to take that class, second half of the alphabet, all but two students fell into that. So I'm sure as we divide this in half, you know, class sizes are going to range. But to do the best we can at reducing the number of students in our secondary um, education so that middle and high school classes down by almost half in most cases. So what has the science department been doing while, you know, and not that they haven't been teaching all of this time, but and also to prepare for the students to come back in person. I know we we talked way earlier in the pandemic um, when we thought that CPS would be coming back in August about the outdoor classroom space. So can you tell us a little bit more about that space and how that's progressed through the semester? Sure, sure. So uh, we could talk about how it progressed. And unfortunately, and this is mostly for elementaries, but uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, they only had about three weeks to use them uh, because they were elementaries did try to go back. I'm forgetting my dates now, but I think October uh, for three weeks and then went back home. But what we've done in uh, currently nine elementary schools, and then we have two in line for spring, is what we're, we're building what's called nature play areas and or outdoor classroom spaces. And these are the nature play areas are basically a more natural, more open-ended uh, place for students to interact with outdoors in it. It's, it's kind of a cross between a playground, a team building area, and then just a place to find uh, a quiet place to work or just just relax. And so it's not near as structured as your playgrounds. And uh, we put nine of these in, and they've been wildly popular. Uh, I, I have to say, though, wildly popular mostly for the evenings for families to come in, which is great. But we know when schools start up tomorrow for elementary, uh, we just spruced up several of them, uh, still working on some uh, around the weather. But they are everything, they have logs, they have clubhouses, they have tires to climb on, things like that. Then the outdoor classroom area. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I know the Assistance League of Mid-Missouri um, yes. gave you a donation. So and as you're telling the story, talk about the resources that are needed and uh, funding and any needs that you still have. Sure. Thank you. Uh, so the Assistance League has been incredible because we when we budget every year in, in starting in December and January. So we budgeted before the pandemic ever hit a year ago. So we did not budget for any outdoor areas, anything like that. So we've, we've used money from what would have been buses for field trips we can't take. That that doesn't do it. And so what we're doing, asking for is any kind of donations. And the Assistance League now in, in three different donations has donated slightly over $20,000 just for the 
these play areas. They just donated another 10,000 about two weeks ago. And so we'll use that for to finish up what we're still working on now and then the ones in the spring, which are going to be uh, Mill Creek and uh, West Boulevard for sure and then any others that come on board. But we're also trying to make these very nature-inspired. So we do have to buy some new raw materials, uh, some lumber, but we also try as much as possible to reuse what's out there. So slightly used lumber, obviously used tires, we use mulch, you know, that's reclaimed. Um, but so we're asking if anybody has projects, I mean, cash donations are always great, but just as important, if you have extra lumber supplies from building a house or a deck, we will absolutely take them extra bags of concrete. We're really trying, we're, we're actually doing a measure of each nature area of what percent of the materials were reclaimed or recycled because that, that keeps things out of the landfill and, and saves taxpayers money at the same time. And you talk about recycling and I, I want to not forget before we finish up here, the article that was in the Tribune on um, trash and how we keep yes. our, <laughs> can you, can you touch on that, Mike? Sure. It, this is a, this boy, this is a hot topic right now, isn't it? It's, uh, it is. <laughs> yes. Uh, as, as most people know on February one, our trash program in Columbia, city of Columbia changes uh, to where uh, what people don't say, you, you, you have to use black trash bags that are provided by the city, which has always been the case, but now they have a city logo on them. And that logo is basically your ticket in a way to throw that trash away. And every household is going to get 104 trash bags a year, which, which is two bags a week on average. You can put as many trash bags as you want out on a week but you only get 104 free for the year. And then any other trash bag will cost $2 a piece. And it's not that you're buying the bag, you're really buying the, the landfill space in a way to throw that trash away. So for people that were not recycling or, or, or putting a lot of yard waste to the curb, you can still do that, but that's going to start adding up for a couple more dollars a week and potentially over, over $100 a year if, if you're double or a couple hundred if you're doubling so what we talked about in the article if you look at the research and actually try to dissect what's in your trash over 60 percent of what's in the trash shouldn't really be in our trash and and that includes of course all the recyclables now i have to be honest recycling right now is not as convenient as it used to be and i, I cannot wait for curbside recycling to start again because that is, th- this sure. is a, yes it, it is a pain they're not getting picked up as much and uh I, I know we're sending more to landfill because people understandably just don't want to drive that in their car. Uh, so, but that being said, when that comes back or, or you can deliver it still now, over 60% of what we put in, all your paper, your cardboards, your metals and plastic should never make it to the landfill or fill up your $2 bag space. And the same goes if you're able to composting the other of the 40% of trash that remains the research shows that about 50% of that is food waste. And so in the article, we talk about, you know, save money and in, uh, in both money and food and money in trash bags by really thinking about what you're cooking, what you're buying. It's staggering how much food in America, and I cannot, off the top of my head, I can't remember the number, but it's, it's millions and millions of dollars of food we throw away in the United States every year. And that's just going to landfill and you're, paying for that and so we get some strategies on how to the, the obvious like use the leftovers but the other obvious is a lot of people go shopping and they buy things because they're on sale or cheap but it, it's not cheap if you don't really have a plan to use them and so we're, we're really just trying to give strategies for I, I don't i know people don't love the new trash system but one 
one positive consequence of that is it's going to make people really think about what they're sending to the landfill and what in the packaging they're using and things like that. And when you talk about food waste, I'm curious, is, does the Columbia Public School do anything with their food waste as far as composting? Yes, so it's funny you say that. This was my last project the week prior to us shutting down last March, but the answer was no until now. Uh, the city of Columbia, uh, with us, won a, a very large grant, and it was about just under $100,000 and this will start again. I'll be honest with with this year being kind of crazy. I I have a feeling this will now start next year. It should have been going on right now, uh, but every single school in CPS, or and if we have to phase it in because it's quite a change. Their trash systems in the cafeterias will change. Right now, it's simply trash, and as you can imagine, the amount of food that goes in there, uh, it's it's almost it's ninety percent food. It will now change to a three three. Uh, bucket system where there'll be a trash can, there'll be a compost bin, and there'll be a recycle bin. And then we will go to each school one at a time. We actually did this with a couple schools last March, beginning right before we closed and, and had them ready to go. Uh, it cut down 80% of the trash. And so outside each building is part of this grant. We will switch over in while there's of course, the trash dumpsters, there will now be a compost dumpster. We produce way too much food compost that we, we could never compost on site. It would cause all kinds of problems. But there's a company out of Fulton, I think the name is Bluebird Corporation, that they come several times a week and pick it all up and make compost on their site. So it's out of us, but it's also out of the landfill. So I am very excited to report that we are going to have a a big, big change that should have happened this year, but uh, starting next year on that. That is really exciting. I know that as a Columbia Public School parent, I have always just had a little knot in my stomach knowing how we could play a part, and, and yes. I'm so glad that we are. So back to these outdoor learning spaces, and I'm sorry to sidetrack us with trash, okay. but it's definitely yeah. a conversation that all of Columbia is having. Um, sure. As you know, as we enter the school in the coldest part of the year, I've heard a lot of parents say, "Well, now is just not the time in Missouri to go outside." Um, in creating these outdoor spaces, what are your thoughts to that at this time of year? Right, that's a wonderful question, and and they're not always wrong. There are our winters; uh, they're they're varied, and so what we've talked to the teachers about, and we're going to remind them of this next week and send a guide out. We have, as a matter of fact, I think middle of this week, it's going to be near 50 degrees. We're asking, please, go outside, uh, wear the coats. We get that, uh, you know, a couple of days when it's raining and snowing and it's, it's absolutely frigid. You can still go out, but we get that going out and sitting in, next to a tree reading at, at 20 degrees is not really going to be that enjoyable. So we're asking to be practical. We're also doing some uh, with some elementary schools. For example, Fairview Elementary is our, our place-based school that we're trying to pilot different things and then move that out to other schools. They have collected coats and gloves and hats. So if a student either just does not have the means to have proper winter gear or, you know, you know kids, they have plenty of winter gear, but it's at home. And <laughs> Doesn't they make wear it to school. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there is a, a closet full of that, that they can just borrow and put back. And so we're trying to make it easier for schools to go outside. But admittedly, all the work we're doing in outdoor classrooms, 
it won't be used on an everyday basis due to weather like it is in the fall, spring, and summer. Uh, but there are still days that um, it's great to go out. And then we, we're even asking, even when it snows, there used to be a rule uh, when when we didn't have a snow day and there was snow on the ground, most elementary schools had a rule that, okay, we'll go out at recess, but you have to stay on the blacktop where it's plowed. You cannot touch the snow. And we have changed that at several schools, and we're hoping it continues to, like, wait, they're kids. Uh, snow, snow doesn't happen near as often as, as, as some of us wish. Let them play in the snow. And, and, you know, and it was for good reason. They didn't want them sitting the rest of the day in wet clothing. However, now these schools are saying, okay, we're not going to throw snowballs because, you know, obvious problems there and, and getting it in the face. But go ahead, make a snowman, make a snow fort. Uh, and uh, we even had the uh, at Fairview Elementary, the custodian last year, on one of our big snows when they went back, he actually cut a maze for the kindergartners into the snow on one of the uh, fields, and they just had a ball with it. So we're really trying to change the culture of what outside in winter, you know, when you think about it, we're in Missouri. Our winter is nothing compared to Wyoming and Minnesota, and they're outside all the time in winter. It's just Otherwise, they'd never be outside. So we're trying to adapt uh, and just make it practical. Yeah, I think, you know, the South Dakota winters last as long as the school year lasts. So if they, right. <laughs> if they didn't go out in the winter. Well, I love sure. the idea of, you know, changing policy and changing culture around letting the kids play in the snow. And it just might mean that parents need to send that extra pair of pants because um, we know that when we send our kid out to play in the snow, they tend to get their knees wet. <laughs> um, exactly. Their gloves get wet. So, um, you know, you mentioned having coats and materials accessible, so it sounds like there's a, the call to the community if they have these extra coats that their children have outgrown that they can donate them. Um, I know probably one um you know, thought in people's mind might be, well, but with COVID, aren't we worrying about spreading it by kids borrowing that? And I know that we had um, Dr. Richard Martinello on the show last week, and he really shared with us that that virus isn't living on surfaces very long. So, you know, if a kid is checking out materials, I'm sure that there's probably a protocol for cleaning them. Um, but right. The virus doesn't live on surfaces over 24 hours, and in fact, he stated three hours on surfaces that, um, like that's that. That's a good stat. Yeah, and, and that's changed our operation um, even in other areas of science. Like when we thought we might go back in August, there was going to be rules that, okay, we're not going to be able to use beakers or rulers or anything because of that. And now as that data comes out, it's like, no it's really the breathing. And so we're not as well, we're well, it's always a good practice, just even because the cold and flu virus uh, to wipe things down. And I think we'll probably forever be better about that. Um, we're much more concerned about just giving the physical distancing space than actually uh, things that they touch. So special features of these outdoor play areas that you want to highlight? Sure. Uh, well, of team building areas. I think that's the favorite, well, I should go back to the favorite of everyone. We let each school choose the elements that they want. So we kind of have a catalog of things that, by the way, I should back up and say, we build all this ourselves with volunteers. And so uh, there's some amazing things out there, but we may not, we don't really have the skill to build all of those. So we're building things out of wood and lumber, you know, lumber and logs and things and, and recycled things. So, but the clubhouse is the number one thing that everybody wants. Um, 
kids don't have clubhouses as much these days, so they love that. Uh, and then we have team building activities. One's called a whale watch. And a whale watch, uh, it's called that because it's like you're on a ship. And it's basically a seesaw, but a classroom size seesaw at the deck. It's a deck platform. I think uh, we build them eight by uh, 10 feet and the whole class gets on them. And there's a a telephone pole pivot uh, fulcrum in the middle. And the whole idea there is to get the class to be able to communicate and work together. They have to balance that extremely heavy platform that changes with just even them leaning one way. Uh, They have to balance it so it doesn't touch the ground for 10 seconds. And that alone, while, while the place is really meant for enjoyment, that team-building aspect really helps with their communication and problem-solving. What they learn there is that they don't communicate well, and every, it, it can take some classes, no matter even adults, hours if they don't strategize. And what they'll finally learn is, okay, we have to assign roles, and, and, it, and we ask the teacher, step back and let them do this. And if they don't solve it on day one, great, you got all year long. But when they do solve it, then, of course, we throw uh, – we throw some other, uh, you know, wrenches into the program. So, like, okay, now you're going to have to do it, but you can't talk. And then if they get really good, which we haven't had anybody do yet, then they can be blindfolded, and they have to do it with blindfolding. And so just things like that, it's really a multi-purpose area. Uh, these little kids, their favorite thing is uh, we have a big, giant table that's low for accessibility. Anybody can get to it that just is filled with building uh, blocks and um what we call them tree cookies, like trees that are downed. We go to the mulch site and get tree stumps and stuff, or tree branches, and cut them into chunks. And then it's just building. They build things out of it. They love that. So it's little simple things like that. Uh, I will say, too, that a principal told me that a normal new playground structure at a school installed by a company costs $30,000. And I'm talking about those metal and plastic ones now. 30000 We pull this off with uh, a full same size playground structure for about 2,500 a school. So it is, uh, and a lot of that's because we're using reclaimed um, and we're doing it ourselves. So no labor costs, but uh, it's uh, not only is it more fun for the kids, but it's very economical also. So if people wanted to donate resources or their time, can you let them know where they're going to find you? Did you say where they would be assigned to? Is that what you asked? Where they can find you. Sorry. Yes. Oh, find me. I'm sorry. Sure. (laughs) Sorry. I misunderstood that. So the best thing to do, probably the easiest, is to email me. It gets to me more directly. And to do that, it's a long last name. But if they just type in Columbia Public Schools and science coordinator or science department, my email is right there. That's probably the easiest. We also have a CPS Science Facebook page, uh, and they could send a message that way. Or there's Twitter, and uh, Sablowski M uh, is my Twitter handle. But probably the easiest is just that Google Science, CPS Science Department. It'll get, me, get them right there. And that, is, for Facebook, it's just at CPS Science, um, as Mike said, uh, Mike Sadowski, and it's S-Z-Y-D-L-O-W-S-K-I um, to email at CPS. And so... You know, I know that there's concerns about bringing people back into the building um, in person. So as a teacher, can you tell me the perspective that you guys are having as you come back and, and maybe some some messages to the community as we think about how can we safely return from the perspective of science? Sure. And, and I can tell you, we uh, my wife actually teaches eighth grade science at Jeff Middle, so she's been she's greatly involved in this, and I've, I've watched her on the planning that 
it's I think it's going to work out really well. I do. I know there's a lot of nervousness about it. It's not going to go perfectly, but when you look, uh, the elementary, they've already had a dry run, and they've learned more things from the, that first try time they did that, and they can be more structured, and I think that'll, that'll be great, and they're so excited. Secondary, the worry has been all that rapid changing, and so they've put structures in place. Uh, I know that there are more lunch uh, sessions now, so they can... They, have less people per table because those are always very crowded. I know in the classroom what most teachers are doing is having a space at the front of the room where the teacher is going to stay, almost like a tape boundary, whether there's actually a boundary or not, but a place where the teacher is going to stay in the front and the students are going to stay so that the teacher doesn't accidentally go over the kid's shoulder and, and, and contaminate that mm-hmm. way. But they're really working on, and, and of course, oh, yeah, I should say seating charts. Many secondary classes, they would let the kids pick where they want to sit sometimes, at least later in the year. Seating charts are going to be very strict this year uh, because we need to know on every given day where they are. And that's just for their safety, and that way we can ensure they're spread out. And then as far as teaching goes, uh, they're really the teachers I've talked to are pretty excited about getting back and doing, at least in science, these hands-on labs. Even if it's not safe yet and not with the numbers high, hands-on meaning there may be a, a lab that instead of groups doing them, the teacher's going to actually do the lab while the students tell them what to do. And then as the numbers get a little lower, we can lessen and lessen that. But I think the teachers are just excited not to do uh, computer simulations as much and actually get out there. And so... I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, the, the, I, I have an office at one of the schools this year, and um, it is too quiet. And so we're anxious to have the kids back. And, and then we're anxious. We're hoping the vaccines get out quick. We've, everything we stand for in science department has been canceled, every field trip, everything. While field trips won't happen this year during the normal school year, we're optimistic that that vaccine can get out and we can start our summer programs back up and the trips to Wyoming. So we're while it's not there yet, I think for the first time we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And there's so much outdoor learning that can be done, and we know that it's so much safer to do um, to gather to do do things outdoors. And so Absolutely. you mentioned the vaccine, and so I just want to touch on what's happening in the state of Missouri as far as the vaccine. There's a really interesting website now, covidvaccine.gov, that actually has a map. Um, We have 1,172 distributors or providers of the vaccine um, within the state and, you know, over 50 uh, within probably the KOPN listening region, um, over 30 within just Boone County alone. And we are in um, phase... Uh, 1A uh, is, um, so, and then 1B tier 1. So what they've done is they broke um, phase 1B into three tiers, with tier 1 including the first responders, emergency service, and public health infrastructure, tier 2 of 1B being the high-risk individuals, and then our public school teachers, our educators, our child care providers falling into that phase 1B tier 3 critical infrastructure. So I know that some of the Columbia Public School nurses, I think 150 were vaccinated um, and, you know, uh, those who are requiring for, required for uh, special education. Um, and then the, the idea of when, I know often people say, well, we shouldn't go back to school until teachers have access to the vaccine. Mike, what are you hearing out in the community? And maybe I'll just reflect on what I'm hearing about 
when and how these vaccines are going to get accessible to teachers? That's a really good question, and it 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 is very. It seems like every week I hear something different. With the latest being a little bit, well, kind of positive, but then I heard Boone County doesn't quite have as many vaccines to move forward. I would say that the teachers they would be more comfortable if they had the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, that's not paralyzing most of them either. It's just meaning that they have to be extra careful. Uh, and it's more the teachers I've talked to. It's actually less about them and more about them taking it home is what they're worried about. And so we just had conversations and we have guidelines that, like I talked a few minutes ago, of okay, well, we don't have the vaccine yet, uh, but what can we do to lessen the risk? And then I hope, um, and maybe I'm being overly optimistic, I'm hoping within just maybe a few weeks that teachers start getting vaccinated. Granted, with our numbers, that, that may take a few more weeks, but... I'm hoping if we talked in a month from now that we are in good shape when it comes to teachers and the vaccination. All right. Last thoughts for our listeners as we wrap up this um, Community Pulse episode. I would say for the last thought, I, I would say that most teachers are excited, yet a little nervous to come back. Mm-hmm. But I think they're going to see quite a lot, quite a shift in the education because the teachers have, uh, while this has all been pretty horrible, the teachers have a lot of pent up new ideas that they want to try with (laughs) students. So, uh, and then it's, you know, we're going to get outside more and we even talk to the teachers. Uh, yes, they're going to be even inside the buildings a little more cooped up. So we need some brain breaks. What we're encouraging them is even when it's 30 degrees outside, it is far healthier to take that brain break break and do a five-minute walk outside than it is to get five minutes free time in the classroom. So do that. Get them some fresh air. And that's what, what I, the last email I sent to all 100 science teachers is I, that needs to be a policy that stays way after COVID is gone because it's always healthier, whether it's the cold virus, the flu, COVID, whatever it is, getting those kids outside, particularly in these gloomy uh, months, they were cooped up too much and it affects uh, everything. And so get them outside even for five minutes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Mallory, back to you on the KOPN studio. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. Special thanks to our guest, Mr. Mike Sidlowski, Science Coordinator for Columbia Public Schools. If you missed part of this program or want to share it with your friends, you can find it later today at KOPN.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Catch us again live on Wednesday at 9 a.m. with host Dr. Elizabeth Alleman. She will discuss the Novavax vaccine trial for COVID-19 with an MU researcher involved in the study. As always, we invite you to share your questions with us as we plan for future episodes. Leave a message for us at 573-874-1139 or email gm at kopn.org. And don't forget to tune in to KOPN for live coverage of the inauguration this Wednesday, January 20th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. We're airing coverage from the Pacifica Network, which will feature interviews with activists, community organizers, policy experts, and it will have live call-in opportunities. Thank you so much for tuning in to KOPN 89.5 FM, your community radio station. Between the Lines is up next. Stay tuned.